give the problem first. With Western Christianity, what we've done is we've turned the gospel into Jesus died for your sins and you can go to heaven when you die. Okay, part of that's true, but the gospel is more than simply saving individuals. It's saving individuals who are of different ethnicities to bring them into a family. Welcome to All Things with Jen Oshman, where we look at current events and trends through a Christian lens. All things were created by Jesus and for Jesus, so we're seeking to apply His Word to what's happening here and now. Whether you're listening on your favorite podcast app or watching this episode on YouTube, would you take just a minute to go and give us a rating and a review? Ratings and reviews really do add up, and they help new listeners to find the show. Thank you so much. And lastly, don't forget to check out our show notes, which are always full of resources like articles, or other podcasts and books. You'll find a link to my bookstore created in partnership with 10 of those where you'll see the books recommended on today's episode. My 10 of those store always has discount prices and $1 shipping. Welcome, everybody, to this episode of All Things. I am really pleased this time to be joined by Dr. Derwin L. Gray. He is the co-founder and lead pastor of Transformation Church, which is a multi-ethnic, multi-generational, mission-shaped church located in the Charlotte, North Carolina metro region, as well as many other things that we're going to talk about, conference speaker, author, theologian. Welcome to All Things, Dr. Gray. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to getting to know you and your audience, and hopefully I can be beneficial to already the great things you're doing. I know that you will be. I have been reading you and listening to you for a long time, have benefited from your voice. Um, you've spoken into multiple areas of just cultural analysis, which I so appreciate. Um, but before we dive into the deep end, and I think we probably will go to the deep end today because your most recent book, which is actually a year old, I think it turned a year old this month, yeah. is called, um, there it is, How to Heal Our Racial Divide. Excellent book. Thank you. I so appreciated that. And so we're going to we're going to get into our racial divide. But before that, you do have a fascinating life story. And I would just love if you would kind of give the brief story to the audience. Yeah. So uh, I grew up in San Antonio, Texas, on an area of the uh, city called the West Side. And when you grow up poor, you don't realize that you're poor. My whole life was about six blocks and it was predominantly African-American, Latino, and my mom was 17, dad was 19. Both of them struggled with various issues. So my grandmother primarily raised me. Um, we had religion in the house, but like we didn't go to church or any of those types of things. So, I mean, there was like a God awareness. Now, I didn't know it was the Father, Son, and Spirit. I didn't know what the gospel was. But there was like this healthy, like, yeah, there's a God. Um, and you kind of pray to that God if you need something. Um, so at about age 13, that's when I recognized that football was not only a sport I loved, but it was a vehicle to get me out of the West Side, to get me into college. Um, I always wanted to be successful. I wasn't sure what that meant, but I was willing to work hard once I figured out that what you put in is what you get out. And so got really good at football, got a football scholarship to Brigham Young University. So here I'm a black kid from a multi-ethnic context to a white Mormon context. And as a big, it was a big adjustment. Uh, met a javelin thrower on the girls track team. Uh, we've been together ever since my freshman year. So we'll be celebrating 31 years of marriage next month. And uh, so she was a high achiever. I was a high achiever. Uh, BYU was like, 
we were Mr. and Mrs. BYU. Everybody loved us. I get drafted to the NFL, and that's when the that's when the dream starts turning into a nightmare because I go from a big fish to a ginormous pond, and I'm a minnow now. Didn't get along with my teammates, lost my confidence. But by my third year, I was a team captain. I was playing good. My wife was succeeding, but I couldn't forgive my dad who left me. I couldn't get rid of what I now know as conviction from things that I had done that I needed forgiveness for. I couldn't love my wife the way she deserved to be loved because I didn't love myself. My whole self-worth was based on what I did. And then when you're a professional football player, that's like uh, that's like seeking affirmation from what you're doing on meth. I mean, it is out of control because your whole life is how good were you in the last game? You're only as good as your last game. And uh, <clears throat> in 1995, now I know that's when the Holy Spirit was allowing my eyes to see. And I was like, something's wrong with you, man. Because I'm like, you got everything you're supposed to have, but something's wrong. Well, I had a teammate. His name was Steve Grant, but his nickname was the Naked Preacher. And I played with the Colts. He played with the Colts. And every day after practice, he'd take a shower, dry off, wrap a towel around his waist, get his Bible, and ask my teammates, do you know Jesus? And in my mind, I'm going, bro, do you know you're half naked? So the veterans are like, don't pay no attention to him. That's the Naked Preacher. So one day he asked me a question that changed my, my life. He said, do you know Jesus? And I began this five-year introspection from 1993 to 1997, where my body began to break down, where the life I had built on sand was fading away. And then on August 2nd, 1997, it was a training camp, fifth year in the NFL. It was after lunchtime. I was walking back from the lunch hall back to our dorm rooms, and uh, I just felt this gaping chasm in me. And I called my wife on the phone. And I said, I want to be more committed to you and I want to be committed to Jesus. And I cried for three nights straight with the reality of how can someone like Jesus love somebody like me? Now I've come to understand he only has people like me to love. But while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While Derwin was yet a sinner, the God of unmatched mercy and unending grace and love that abounds wanted me. So much so that he took my place, represented me on the cross, mm -hmm. condemned in my place so that I could receive acceptance and love. And that was the greatest love story I'd, I'd ever heard because my whole life was, if you do good, you get. If you do good, you get. And you come to the place of going, I can't do good enough. And God goes, I know. That's why I'm your good enough. Mm -hmm. So that's how, um, that's how I came to faith. My wife came to faith about six months before me through a um, woman at her job. And so both of us believe in personal uh, evangelism or sharing your faith that your job is your mission field. And uh, also grew up as a compulsive stutterer. So the idea of speaking to people and preaching is doesn't make any sense. I scored a 16 on my ACT. To have a doctorate makes no sense. To, be, to have written seven books makes no sense. But what makes no sense to us makes perfect sense to a sovereign and good God. Mm. Man, thank you for that. I feel like you just preached us a sermon. There were so many good truths in that. And I appreciate you just sharing your story and God's story really in you and through you. So how did you move from meeting Jesus in the NFL to having this church, Transformation Church in Charlotte? 
Yeah, the way I like to describe it is God set my wife and I up. Like I said, I grew up as a compulsive stutterer. So in 1999, my wife and I both decided it's time for me to retire from the NFL. People said, what are you going to do? I don't know. I mean, we were just freshly in love with Jesus. We didn't care, man. Whatever you want us to do, we'll do. Until whatever you want you to do comes up. And someone invited me to speak at a youth event in Columbia, South Carolina. And it was like, we want you to share your testimony. I'm like, well, I'm not in school. I don't have any tests to take. They're like, no, no. A testimony is what was your life like before Jesus? And what's it like now? I'm like, oh, okay. Well, I need to pray about that because I stutter. And there were going to be like a couple thousand kids there. So I remember being in a shower crying, going, God, why are you sending me? There's so much pain, so much brokenness. Why? I'll give money. I'll pray. I'll go cheer the person on. Why are you sending me? And I didn't hear a voice, but I just sensed God saying, if I can raise my son from the dead, I can raise my tongue. I can raise your tongue to talk, but you have to go to see it. And the going was an act of faith. And I had note cards falling out of my pockets and a bunch of kids got saved. The guy who brought me in to speak said, get ready. God's going to start using you. And then people just start calling me. So my wife is administratively gifted. So she'd organize everything. I'd go and speak. And we started a ministry called One Heart at a Time Ministries. But in 2005, we began to look around and said, wait a minute. As we read the Bible, we see that the early church was Jewish people and Gentiles, which means everybody else. That the Apostle Paul only planted churches that were multi-ethnic. And he did so because God made a covenant with Abraham. Genesis 12, 1 and 3, I'll make you a great nation. All the families of the earth will be blessed. Galatians 3, 16, Jesus is the seed of Abraham. And so we deduce that God did not just come to forgive our sins, but to create a family with different colored skins. And as his family loves each other, John 13, 35, you will know that they're my disciples. And as they are unified, John 17, the world will know that the father sent the son. So we learned this stuff and we started to say it to Christians and they looked at us like we were crazy. We started to say it to pastors. They looked at us like we were crazy. And we said, okay, either God is right or they're wrong. And so we believe that God was right. And so that led us to plant Transformation Church. We are a an intentional, Jesus-centered gospel-shaped, multi-ethnic church that is multi-generational. In 13 years, we've seen over 7,000 people come to faith. We've baptized over 2,000. This past Easter with online and in person, we had 31,000 people uh, worship with us. And we want to reach the world, not just saving individuals, but to bring God this multi-ethnic redeemed family that lives in unity and love. So that's how we started Transformation Church. So good. And you share that in your book, How to Heal a Racial Divide. And I know you talk a lot about it whenever you speak or podcast. It's just a fascinating story. What I've noticed, Dr. Gray, is that you really do see um, ethnic reconciliation, you know, multi-ethnic diversity in the kingdom as central to the yeah. gospel. And so, yeah. and like you just said, you tell other Christians about that. They thought you were crazy. And you're like, no, yeah. this is kind of a theme I see through scripture. Unpack that a little bit more for us. Yeah. Yeah. You, you know, so, so let me give the problem first with Western Christianity. What we've done is we've turned the gospel into Jesus died for your sins and you can go to heaven when you die. Okay. Part of that's true. 
But the gospel is more than simply saving individuals. It's saving individuals who are of different ethnicities to bring them into a family. You have vertical reconciliation with God. We are forgiven, sins forgotten. We're declared righteous. We're holy. We're blameless. We're loved. All that's true vertically, and it's true horizontally. So to say I love God, but I don't love people is antithetical to the Bible. And so what we've done in America is we've made a package of here's how you can go to heaven when you die versus how do we become the redeemed new people of God for all time and all eternity. But the linchpin is Genesis 12. God says, uh, I'm going to, Abraham, I'm going to bless you and I'm going to make you a great nation of all the families. There's a reason why. Galatians 3, 8 says the gospel was preached beforehand to Abraham and this, all the nations would be blessed. And then Galatians 3, 16 says Jesus is the seed of Abraham. And so Jesus dies to redeem a family. That's why at the end of the Bible, we see every nation, tribe, and tongue. So let me put it to you this, this way. We are short on time. And so I'm going to put it to you this way. The reason why the American church still suffers with racism, prejudice, and a lack of caring about this issue is because pastors and seminaries have failed miserably. Um, we have entire seminaries that were founded on slavery. We have entire denominations founded on slavery. During the civil rights movement, evangelicals were not involved. Black evangelicals were. So it comes down to power and money. When you begin to dismantle racism and injustice, it begins to dismantle systems of oppression. And the idea that systemic injustice does not exist flies in the face of total depravity and the face of spiritual powers and strong towers from Paul in Ephesians 6, 11 through 20, our battles not against flesh and blood. And so God is a holistic redeemer and savior. There's a reason why we see this beautiful picture of every nation, tribe, and tongue celebrating Jesus in Revelation 5.9. What we're to do for eternity, God wants us to practice in the present. And when people give me pushback, it is never on theology. And that's one of the reasons why I got a doctorate in the New Testament, because I knew as a black man in white evangelical spaces, I would never be challenged theologically. It would always be pragmatically. And here's what it comes down to. We're not willing to disciple the prejudice and racism out of our people. Why is that? Is the risk too high? Is it you lose following, devil, you lose platform? The devil. The, you the know, devil. So, so um, uh, Norman Geisler, the mm -hmm. late uh, great philosopher, ap apologist, was a mentor and friend. And he would always would go, well, why, doctor? He'd go, the devil. But then he'd unpack it. Yeah, there are dark powers who hate Christ, who hate the church. Then that unfolds into power. I had so many white pastor friends who, when they spoke up about George Floyd, literally one pastor had 3000 people leave and half of the elders. And all he did was preach from Ephesians 2, 14 through 16. They left. I had one friend lose a million dollars in offering in six months. Mm -hmm. 
So uh, let me, let me uh, President Trump, who I believe did some good things, okay? But he isn't the one who caused this. He's the one that was brought into being by what many evangelicals wanted. They didn't want a leader that fits blessed are the poor in spirit for the kingdom's heaven. They wanted someone to wield cultural power. And that's why it's important that we worship the lamb, not the donkey or the elephant. And the lamb is always going to be at odds and speaking truth to power to both the left and the right. And so, yeah, there are a lot of pastors that are afraid. There's a, a lot of a, pastors who are actually caught up in cult, in a cultural war instead of the kingdom of God. And so I'm going to spend the rest of my life trying to shape and influence the church for the good, because there's a reason why a lot of Gen Z and millennials are leaving the church. And there's a re reason why our church is filled with Gen Z and millennials is because they go, that's a holistic gospel. That looks like Luke 4, 16 through 18. I came to preach the good news to the blind, the captive, the poor. I mean, it's a holistic gospel. They like the fact that we have a free grocery store that feeds 500 people per month. They like the fact that we paid $4 million in medical debt for people in the state of South Carolina, but they like the fact that the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. It's vertical, connecting with God, horizontal, connecting with each other to be on mission with the Lord. Yes. Dr. Gray, have you found this mission of yours to be costly to yourself as well? Has it, has it yeah. been painful for you at times? And Absolutely. what's that been like? Oh, yeah. Gosh. So in the early days, which is in the mid 2000s, the same thing I just said to you now. Um, I was saying back then, and I remember one time being with a group of church planners who were white. And um, I've learned in those spaces, if I raise my voice, I'm an angry black man. Mm -hmm. So I have to calmly, coolly communicate what I believe in why. And as I articulated the theological and gospel framework of why of multi-ethnic churches rooted in the great commandment, the great commission, God's call of Abraham and Christ. Um, the pushback was all pragmatic. Well, we had a black pastor come and all the black people left with, with him. And well, that's good that you should do, do that. And they were just coming at me. And I said, okay, if I respond, it's not going to do any good. Mm. And I remember the bishop over the group, he was a Puerto Rican older guy. And he goes, uh, brothers, uh, Derwin is correct. Not only was that the ancient church, but it's the church of the future. And if you don't get on board, your churches aren't going to exist in 25 years. Mm -hmm. And just about each one of those guys over the last 13 years has come back to me to say, will you teach me? Mm -hmm. um, and we've had people leave our church. Uh, we've had folks come, um, but it's but it's just not just white. Like we've had black pe people who want me to be more black than Christian. Mm -hmm. And it's like, okay, now we have a black pastor, so we're going to get them. I'm like, get who? Our brothers and sisters? No, no, we are team Jesus. Like, we all have the same resurrection blood transfusion in us. We are Adolphimos, brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. We don't seek vengeance. We seek to build up. We seek to understand. We seek to listen. We seek to love. We seek to embody King Jesus. And so, yeah, but 
God has blessed us immensely. And our church, if I did not want to tackle these issues, would probably be five times bigger than what it is now. Mm-hmm. But what has, and, and like I said, we have a big church, praise God. No church is too big when there's billions of pe- people who don't know Christ. Mm-hmm. So, but what have all of our multi-site campuses done for us in America? Um, conspiracy theories, January 6, uh, 21, um, insurgency, um, people believing all types of weird, crazy stuff. The racial divide now is worse than any other time in my 52 years of life. And what has the church done? Man, we have cool services. We could teach you about leadership. <laughs> no, if you want to if if you want to learn what leadership is, go back to the 60s and look at these young African Americans read the Sermon on the Mount every day, go into coffee shops and restaurants, get hot coffee thrown in their face, get beaten, called the N-word, um, have dogs rip flesh out of your bones, get lynched and, and, and embody. But I tell you, bless those who persecute you and love your enemies. I actually wrote a blog on why the civil rights is not considered a revival. Respectfully, a revival is not singing songs for several weeks. A revival looks like embodying the goodness and the justice of God. Mm. That is so good and really convicting. How do you persevere in hope, Dr. Gray? Because Jesus rose from the tomb. <laughs> it's a good and, reason. and my hope is not found in people's opinions. My mm-hmm. hope is not found in people and what they think about me. There's no man who can close any door that God says I'm going to walk through. And so uh, my hope is found in Jesus Christ, his blood and righteousness, nothing else. Um, And I have to stay located in that. But in saying that, though, there are lots of people like yourself. I mean, our church is flourishing. My books are flourishing. There's a group of pastors in Norway studying my book. It's been translated into Norwegian. So God is moving powerfully. I am hopeful. And my number one hope is when he got up out of the tomb, hope came with him. Hope is a person. Hope is who can be against us when God is for us. Did he not give up his son? Will he not give us everything? Who can condemn God's elect? Christ is the one who died, but even more, was raised from the dead and who intercedes on our behalf. Mm-hmm. Yes, amen. So I, don't, I don't have time to li- listen to the voices of people when I can hear the whispers of the king. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Dr. Gray, um, How to Heal Our Racial Divide, your most recent book um, from, a, from a year ago, which I will be linked in the show notes. I heartily recommend it to everybody who's listening. It, it reads a lot like a, a playbook, you know, like you co- you're a coach in that book, coaching the reader in moving forward. Um, and as a nation, just this week, you know, this episode is going to air about a week after the news about um, a 16-year-old boy in Kansas City, Missouri, was shot when he went to the wrong home, um, Ralph Yarl. Um, I'm sure everybody listening will probably know the story, but a young Black man who was shot by an older white gentleman when he approached his door. I guess, you know, you've, you've said a lot about why, why we are still divided. Can you coach us in this moment? How do we process that news 
How do we talk about it? How do we orient ourselves as Christians toward this news? Yeah. What, what do you have to say to us about this? Yeah. yeah, you know, the first thing is Jesus says in Matthew 5, 4, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. So what we need to do is we need to take a moment to mourn mm-hmm. that our world is so sin sick and so broken. Secondly, and this is where I'm going to give some pushback and challenge. And I think it's really, really important. And I'm going to come back to the young man. But secondly, as a black man, I have a much, much, much greater chance of being killed by another black man than I do a white man Mm. or a police officer. Mm. It's not even close. Mm. Where I grew up at, it was not white people shooting each other. In Chicago, it is not white people shooting black people. So let's be mindful of that. Also, we talk about evangelicals and their gun culture. Well, in the hood, we got gun culture too. Like we kill each other all the time. So I mourn that. I mourn that too. I mourn uh, black drug dealers selling drugs to other blacks and other folks because I've seen what drug addiction can do. So I want to level the playing field because what will happen is, is we will become inauthentic in our um, outcries. I have marched in a predominantly black community because black gangs were proliferating drugs and violence. I've marched in a Black Lives Matter protest, not because I'm for a communist organization, but before I'm because I'm for justice with anybody. Mm-hmm. So I want to level that playing field because I want your listeners to be equally outraged and sad. Yeah. Okay. Now, back to this young man. I don't know enough about what happened yet. I don't know um, if the 84-year-old man was like, is he all cognitively there? Was he a white supremacist? What's the information going to say? This is one thing that I, I know. If you come to my house late at night and it's out of character, good thing that I have cameras so I can see who's actually there. So let's wait just a little bit longer to see what took place. Um, It very well could have been straight up racism. Mm -hmm. Um, Here's the racism. And and so we need to mourn that. We need to be sad for that. We need to do a thorough investigation. Racism and violence is very, very much real. What I think as it pertains to systemic injustice that goes unnoticed so often that's hurting and oppressing people is predatory lending. So I'm a former NFL player. I don't live in the hood, but I grew up in the hood. In the hood, you see check cashing stores everywhere. That's not here where I live. There are people in the hood who are paying 30% interest on loans, giving away 30% of their checks. Also, as it pertains to lending practices, as it pertains to black home value, if we were to ever sell our home, we would remove every picture of us in this house that it was owned by black folks. Mm 
because research shows it'll go up about 40% in value. Now, let me flip to the other side. On the progressive left, minorities don't need white people to be their parents. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. And it was Malcolm X, who I rarely agree with, in the 60s says the white liberal is not the black person's friend. Mm -hmm. The kingdom of God is all of our friends. But it's important that we don't get isolated in these left cultural wars and these right cultural wars, but that we're at the kingdom of God and we're interacting with people as Jesus did. How did Jesus respond? Matthew eleven nineteen, I believe said, well, I'm not sure it's Matthew something, but it says that Jesus was a friend to sinners. The only people he really got on was the religious right, the Pharisees. So I'm very sad about the young man, but I'm equally sad mm-hmm. about every single day there's more mass shootings. Yeah. If a conservative school in Tennessee does not get conservative politicians to want to make some type of change, I don't know if anything will. Yeah. Gun lobby is powerful and strong and rich and I just know this doesn't happen in other developed countries at the rate mm-hmm. that it happens here. We thought Columbine would be the last of this. Mm-hmm. And now we're holding our breath going, when is the next shoe going to drop? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. I really appreciate that perspective. Um, and that, and this is one reason I really do appreciate reading your words and listening to, to you when you speak, because you are careful to stay off outside of the left or outside of the right and just always focused on the kingdom. Um, and headlines are discipling us and leading us to believe we've got to be all in on one extreme or the other. And you've pulled us out of that and remind us, no, there is a bigger picture here. And we're called to bigger things as we walk in the way of Jesus. And so, um, yeah, thank you for just diving and, into and, some of those issues. And can I add this too? And this has really helped our congregation immensely is I'll say to them, the church of Jesus Christ has existed for 2000 years. Republican and Democratic politics are relatively new. In the 60s, the Democrats were the Republicans and Republicans were the Democrats. And with civil rights, it's flipped. So it's really, really new. So are you telling me that people who aren't Republican aren't saved? If that's the case, then 99.9% of all Christians aren't saved. And when I went to Norway, there's 11 different political parties and neither one of them are Republican or Democrat. They laugh at us when we think Bernie Sanders is a socialist. So our faith has been co-opted deeply by progressives and conservatives, Mm -hmm. so much so that we can't even see the scripture without it being overlaid by a donkey or an elephant. And what I want to do is I want to try to be a partner with the Holy Spirit to bring the church out of such a myopic, myopic, naive perspective to think that, Mm -hmm. well, you can't be a Christian. You're not a Democrat. Really, bro? So you're telling me Peter was a Democrat and Paul was a Republican? And, And no, they wouldn't even, people around the world, people around the world are looking at us going, what has happened? And here's what's happened. Here's what's taking place. 
when you simply have an individualistic gospel that says Jesus died for your sins, you get to go heaven when you die, the holistic understanding of the kingdom doesn't come. Mm -hmm. And so what I've tried to do in How to Heal Our Racial Divide is teach people a holistic understanding. When people read this book, they're going to love Jesus more. Mm -hmm. They're going to understand the church more. But here's the big part. It's going to call you to do more in the power of the Holy Spirit. Mm, yeah. Would you close us out with a little bit more of that do more? The headlines are discipling us. This current cultural divide is discipling us. How can we lean into it? Even if we think we don't need to, like, oh, no, I'm, I'm good. Um, what are some steps we can maybe routinely be taking to lean more into the kingdom rather yeah. into sliding into the divide, which comes so easily? So what I would say is take a week off from TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, and the news. Mm. And during that week, read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then read all of Romans chapter 12. Mm. Do that for a week, prayerfully and humbly. The first thing you're going to notice is you're going to have withdrawals from all that stuff. And then you'll be able to settle in and have clear eyes to go, wow, so when Jesus said, but I tell you, bless those who persecute you and to love your enemies, that Romans 12 says, feed your enemy if they're hungry, give them water if they're thirsty. Not fire back about, if you're wearing masks, you're a socialist. Where's that in the Bible? So that's what I would encourage folks to do. And then the Holy Spirit will guide you. And of course, I want people, I want thousands of people to buy the book, read the book, share the book. I want the book to be a movement. All the proceeds go to feed needy children. My own. I got a wedding to pay for one day. So <laughs> I love that. I'm going to start saying that. <laughs> and my daughter is a princess, so I'm in trouble, man. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Gray, thank you. Thank you for your perspective. Thank you for sharing your time. And yes, I will be linking your books in the show notes. Where can people keep up with you after this conversation? Yeah, just uh, hit me up at uh, derwinlgray.com. That's my personal website. And then that'll take you to transformationchurch.tc, transformationchurch.tc. All my social media handles are at derwinlgray. Perfect. Thank you, Dr. Gray. We're grateful for you. Thank you. Hey, thanks so much for listening to All Things, where we look at current events and cultural trends through a Christian lens. All Things were created through Jesus and for Jesus, so we're seeking to apply his word to what's happening here and now.